The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn News. Welcome to This Is Working Podcast, where we offer the leaders of today an opportunity to share their knowledge with the leaders of tomorrow. Each episode of our podcast draws from a live conversation I had on LinkedIn. You'll hear from that leader's top takeaways alongside analysis and a deeper dive from me and my colleague who is sitting right here, Nina Melendez. Hey, Nina. Dan, I have a burning question for you. Oh, geez. What's up? <laughs> so a couple of months ago, you were sick and you were stuck at home. And I sent you recommendations for stuff to watch. Mm-hmm. The way you're smiling, you know what my question is. Which ones did I like? Did you watch any? I think so. Which ones did you recommend? We talked about Severance and we both agreed we Love loved severance. it. Great one. Yeah. Really great if you're interested in like workplace life on steroids. Did it remind you of working here? It just reminded me of the imbalance of your work life and your personal life. So true. And whether there can ever be a real clear separation. I love that show. I mean, I feel like there's all this talk right now about bringing your true self to work. And then that show was all about doing exactly the opposite. Yep. It was a cool look at the workplace. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, I watched The Menu. Yeah. Did you see that? I did. I can't say I liked it, but I was entertained by it. I think we really need to have someone from the restaurant industry here. We've talked to Danny Meyer in the mm-hmm. past for this show. But one of the things he's talked about is the insane economics of the restaurant yes. industry. It is so hard to make money right now, especially labor costs are yes. through the roof. Yeah. And so it'd be fun to actually get someone in here who's run restaurants and have them talk about how they've done it. That's exciting. Let's do it. Let's do it. Speaking of cool guests on the show, you spoke with Sally Sussman who was so pivotal in the messaging around the COVID vaccine with Pfizer. And that was an example of something where the communication had to be spot on because people were worried about the vaccine and they were unsure about whether they should take it or not and how was it being created. And Sally had to come up with that entire strategy around that. She's Pfizer's chief corporate affairs officer. She spent four decades in a bunch of different industries. So she worked in beauty. I met her first when she was working at Estee Lauder as the head of uh, communications there. She was in government and she's by far the sharpest communicator I've ever met. When a crisis happens, the first person I want to talk to to understand what's going on behind the scenes and why did a company do what they did and what did they do wrong is Sally. Yeah, and she wrote a book all about it. She did, called Breaking Through. It tells her story, how she got into communication, and it tells the story of what it means to be a great communicator and how you can live your life as someone who communicates well. Communication is something I struggle with. What? Yeah. How is that possible? I'm glad that you're surprised. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I would not uh, expect you to say that that's one of your weaknesses. Sometimes I find that what happens in my head when it, it makes sense in here and then it, by the, it comes out of my mouth and then it lands in people's ears completely different than how it was in my head. One of the things that Sally talks about in this book, and we'll get into this, is that it's not the words that you're choosing. Hmm. I mean, that's part of it. But it's about the relationships that you built hmm. and the honesty behind what you're trying to say and the consistency of your messaging and the people that you're meeting with. Mm. Her point is it's honesty, it's vulnerability, it's listening, it's a lot of listening. Mm. Here I take right from the first principle about being super intentional. I knew early on in March of 2020 
that Pfizer was going to try to do something epic and bring forward a scientific transformation of a vaccine in eight months instead of 12 years. I thought I need to set an equally bold intention for how we will communicate and build trust when people were understandably scared and the technology was new and the timing was fast. And so we did things very differently, far more transparently. So for example, we put our clinical trial protocol, which is usually a top secret document, we put it on the website. I embedded reporters from the Wall Street Journal and a documentary film crew from Nat Geo with us on the journey. And believe me, Dan, I had many sleepless nights when I thought, I am filming the greatest goof up, the biggest failure in corporate history if our vaccine doesn't work. I also realized that if our vaccine didn't work, we'd have much bigger problems as a society than a bad news day for mm -hmm. Pfizer. And taking those bold risks, I believe was essential to moving Pfizer from a company with a reputation that was a bit of a laggard across all big pharma to now a top 10 global brand for the last two years, according to the Fortune's most admired companies. So being super intentional about this trust transformation that needed to happen alongside the scientific transformation. We're on this major quest. We're working in a hybrid fashion. We're trying to keep our manufacturing plants aseptic clean level. We've got our scientists in the lab and, you know, I'm schlepping this film crew through and thinking, what if they interrupt important progress? We had to be so careful and I even felt bad to be taking the time from the scientists who were so busy working on this in the vaccine labs. But I also thought, Dan, that in a job as a chief communicator, you are also the chief documentarian mm. of your company. And I knew for those 85,000 employees, if we got this right, it would be a story that we want to tell to our children and grandchildren and to the world for the rest of our lives. I was so glad she talked about this National Geographic documentary. First of all, it's a great documentary. It's really cool to, to watch how Pfizer built this vaccine. And because Pfizer was successful, it makes it seem like obvious that they should have done this. Right. But just as easily, the FDA could have come back and said, it's not ready yet or it's a failure. So Sally took, I think, a pretty big career risk in deciding to embed a crew and re reporters from the Wall Street Journal in her company. You only do that if you know a place well. Hmm. And the CEO in this case believed in Sally. But I think that the takeaways here for all of us are that you got to take risks sometimes. She clearly saw what was happening inside and thought the world needed to see what was happening inside. And she was willing to put her own reputation and her team's reputation on the line for it because she believed in it so strongly. I think a lot of big companies worry about presenting this one perfect image of themselves. And what Sally showed was that she wasn't worried about the perfect image. She was like, I believe in what we're doing. If we can just get people in here to see it, other people are going to believe in that also. And you've had experiences where on, on the political trail, other people have done something similar. Mitt Romney had a crew traveling with him. One time, lock for the NYC mayor, uh, Christine Quinn, had a crew following her. She lost. Romney lost. And you have these records of how they dealt with loss. 
Those were different stories than they intended to tell, but it really humanized both of them. You watch them and you're like, oh, these are real people trying to do something and they feel the same emotions as the rest of us. It's interesting because we had talked about transparency a few weeks ago, and this was radical transparency. It was laying everything out on the table. Yeah. I mean, it's a very bold bet. Yeah. When I met Sally at Estee Lauder, I was at Fortune and I was working on a story about um, the Lauder family. And she gave me incredible access. And as a reporter, it depends. Every company's different. But usually you're trailed by someone from PR. There's always a PR person taking notes. Sally was very different. Sally and I spent a lot of time together first. She got to know me. I got to know her. And then she kind of let me loose. I went on a retreat with Estee Lauder people and watched how new employees were trained. It was a deep dive where I was fully embedded with the company for about a week, week and a half. Sally trusts the places where she's working. And I think that as long as you trust the place you're working and you trust the reporter and you get to know the reporter, then you kind of loosen up and you let them tell the story because you have to trust that in the end that the readers will get it. Do you ever worry that when you are so embraced by the company and so folded in that it can skew your perspective in telling a straight, unbiased story? Well, one of the things that I learned from a mentor at Fortune, uh, Joe Nocera, she's now at Bloomberg, was that it always happens. You embed yourself in a company, you build relationships, you end up really liking the people because they're normal people and they're good people and they want to do the right thing. And then you get back and you have to then write your story. And when you're writing your story, you have to write it for the reader. And what Joe said is you have to make that separation. You are writing it for the person who is reading the magazine or reading the website or watching the show. And in the end, that's who your duty is to. Now, you also have to keep in mind that you got to do the right thing. And so in this case, in the Estee Lauder story, I knew that Sally was going to read the story. I knew all these people were going to read it. And even if they didn't like it, I wanted them to at least say it was true and it was honest. So that's the best that you can get. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about communicating during mistrust because... There were many people who did not trust the vaccine or the development of the vaccine. And when you communicate to people that you know are receiving your words with skepticism, what is the right way of speaking to these people? It's a great question. And Sally, we didn't actually talk about this in the interview, but she does talk about this in her book, is how she dealt with um, anti-vaxxers. And so first, to answer your question, one of the things that Sally talks about is she is clearly a believer in this transparency, and you show how things are done, and you show the humans behind the work, and you show the passion, and you break through by doing that. But we live in such polarized times that there are certain people you are never going to break through with, or at least that's what we all think. What Sally talks about in the book is getting to know people who seem to be unwilling to listen to the message and understanding why they are that way. And so one of the things she points out is she doesn't use the term anti-vax. She thinks anti-vax is a unhelpful title to be giving people. And she went and did interviews and sat down with people who were nervous and scared about the vaccine, hated the vaccine and hated Pfizer to try to understand the why behind this so that she could find the places where she might be able to help bring them back or help bring them to her side. Do you think that if you're so careful about crafting a message, it's because you're trying to manipulate how the other person will think? I guess that's a very cynical way to... um, I think 
Certainly, we've seen in history that people can change the world through how they communicate, both in good ways and in bad ways. And if you are silver-tongued, you can help move the population to your side. I think to your point, it's probably worth also thinking through how people have learned how to listen. In the best case scenario, communication turns into conversation very quickly. Yeah. And you talk about something, you bring it up, and someone else brings up their own point of view, and new ideas are formed, right. and something better comes out of it. Right. It's all about, I'm saying this thing because I want you to hear it, versus let's come to an agreement and an understanding. That's a good word. One of the things that we talked about in the interview was the importance of hearing from people around the company in their own words. So she got her scientists to write posts, and she got various people around the company to write. Because in our age today, this idea that everything comes from the corporate point of view, and it's just Pfizer talking, or it's just the CEO talking, no one wants to hear that, or, and no one believes it anymore. You know, it's like, to your point, there's a lot of skepticism around this corporate messaging. So how do you get away from that? You get people who are real people doing real things, and they have to talk in their own language, in their own words. And I think once you start doing that, it starts opening up the opportunity to have real conversations versus just hearing someone who's an amazing communicator deliver their amazing speech. we got to take a break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Sally Sussman. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. Nina, do you feel like you have a clear framework or understanding of when you should add your voice to a conversation? You know, I don't. (laughs) Um, Do you have frameworks in general? For how I communicate? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's my problem. (laughs) Maybe I need to start developing. Here's the good thing, is that I know that I need help. So I often do gut checks. If I think I want to say a thing and this little voice behind my head goes, um, think about that, I'll send it to someone. I'll send it to a peer, I'll send it to a manager, and I'll ask them, to, hey, does this sound right to you? Do you think this is okay to say? For the most part, because I'm a journalist, I try not to give put opinions out there, specifically if they lean very strongly one way or the other. Well, I think the way that you were thinking, that little editor in the back of your head yeah. giving you opinions, what Sally does is lay out a way to have that kind of inner editor at a company yeah. and a framework for companies to think about when it is time for them to weigh in and how they should weigh in. So let's hear her talk about that. I thought a lot about this, and when these questions were coming faster and more furiously in recent years, 
I developed a five-question framework, and the framework is in the book, but just very quickly, the first question is, how does it relate to our purpose? So Pfizer's purpose is breakthroughs that change patients' lives. There are many important issues, like deforestation in the Amazon. It's an important issue, but it's not related to our purpose. And if you speak out on everything, you lose your agency. Our second question is, how does it impact our stakeholders? And there is no more important stakeholder than our colleagues. And so how will colleagues and other important stakeholders feel about this? The third question is, how does it relate to our values? Not our politics, but our values. Because companies shouldn't be political, but they should have values. We have four, courage, excellence, equity, and joy. The fourth question is, what are my choices in how I respond? Because sometimes it's a reporter on deadline who says, you know, I've been working on this story for 10 months and you have 15 minutes to respond. Or somebody pushing a petition in your face. I say take the power back, take the pen back. If you have something to say, you can say it in your own way. Often a letter to employees is a great way, and then you post it on your website. So feel, feel your control. And then the fifth and final question I always ask is, what is the cost of our silence? So sometimes here, like on an issue of racial equality or an issue against violence, it's just silence is unacceptable. Mm. So that's my framework, but I have shared it on LinkedIn and I welcome um, with my followers the engagement about do they agree, do they disagree, do they have different questions, because this is an ongoing and evolving kind of metric for people like me. I loved these frameworks and I'm going to use them moving forward. And nice. I specifically liked when she said, if you talk too much about everything, you lose your agency. And that's very much, you know, picking your battles and being wise about it. What Sally's talking about here is a real change in how companies have had to react to external events. Ten years ago, no one expected companies to weigh in on everything. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, three years ago, that changed, with the, especially with the pandemic. It really accelerated uh, the demand from employees and from consumers to hear from the brands and the companies they work for or buy from to weigh in on topics. And it threw the boardrooms into panic because these CEOs who had never said anything before, who'd always been super safe, you know, we stand for American values. Mm -hmm. It was like about as, as far uh, as, as the biggest opinion they would give. Mm -hmm. Now we're being asked to weigh in on some of the hottest, touchiest topics of the day. And it fell on these corporate communication departments to help them either build their voice or guide their voice or learn what to say or what not to say. She is making the case that there are topics where you don't have to speak about everything. You don't have to reveal your opinions about every single topic. Sally even talked about at one point aligning your private self and aligning your professional self and whether you communicate differently in both spheres of your life, which is sort of what member Marcy Ross said I love that Sally understands that you have to work to be sure your public self and your private self need to be the same in order to be your true self. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to do any spoilers for severance, but the show really is about when you try to separate your work self and your personal self, bad things start happening. This is such a great point. I think there was a time where people were expected to operate differently in the office than they operate at home or with family. But 
you can't be a different person in the office than you are at home. Yeah. I mean, you can be, but it's painful. It's psychologically painful. Yeah. What I took away from this conversation is that you can only be an expert communicator when you have clarity. And Sally touched on this very briefly. Let's take a listen. You work for the company. Um, the CEO may be your boss, and you certainly take his or her instruction and, and debate it or discuss it and make a plan. But the ability to work for three companies over nine CEOs, I think is because I really learned that I needed to take an enterprise view. And sometimes those, those issues are bigger than any given individual in a company. And really understanding that you are working for the company, it, I think is very important. I thought this was a great point because so many of us, you know, we talked about the role of the CEO before. But when we, you work at a company, you are working for the corporation, as Sally points out. And what she's really saying here is that you have a responsibility to live up to the company's values and requirements rather than your direct bosses. And so her point is you got to know the company well. You have to know the company's values well. You have to understand what the company's mission is. And then you can defend your actions even if the CEO comes back to you and says, in this case, you know, she works directly for the CEO. The CEO comes back to Sally and says, I want you to do X. She can say, I don't think that is actually what our company stands for. Hmm. I thought it was a nice statement mm-hmm. by Sally. Yeah. What was your favorite takeaway from this interview? You know, it's funny. When we did this interview, I've known Sally for a long time, and yet I still felt it felt like a very formal interview. And then when we started getting into the details about how she embedded people within Pfizer, I started to feel like I wanted to learn more. I didn't want to get off that topic. Yeah. Because I love this idea of taking risks. I mean, mm. this was a big, big risk. She brought a National Geographic film crew and had them film people at one of the most tense times in their lives where it could have been a disaster for the company if things had gone wrong. The entire country was watching this. You can't bury it afterwards. And I just wanted to know everything about how you gain the trust of your CEO to say something like that, how you trust in yourself. Because the other thing, too, about the risk aspect is that if something had happened with the vaccine and for some reason there was a lawsuit, they have documentation on everything. <laughs> That's a good call. You know? That's exactly so, right. And a different communications pro would have seen all those risks and would say, not worth it. I'm yeah. not doing this. We're not going to bring anyone in. And Sally did the opposite. Right. And I think we benefited from that. Do you think that people should do that more often? I do you? think they should do it more often. You know, the truth is that the downside, I think, is never that far down. Yeah. Like even if we go back to those examples of documentaries that were done on Mitt Romney or Christine Quinn, Mitt Romney is a senator now. There was no impact to his career from having a crew following him as yeah. he lost his presidential run. It shows you who you are. So I do think that many more people should be willing to open themselves up to the world. To have a documentary crew follow them. Every, I think that all of us should have documentary <laughs> crews following us all the time. What did you think about that conversation with Sally Sussman? What were your big takeaways from it? I would love to hear. Post on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisIsWorking or send us your voice. You can make a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at thisisworking at linkedin.com. Either way, you might hear your contributions on an upcoming episode. Please share this podcast episode with a friend and review it. It'll help new listeners find us. And if you'd like to hear the full conversation between Dan and Sally, check the show notes. We'll link to it there. This is Working as a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Candice Weiner, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, and Lolia Briggs. 
Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious. <laughs>